Good morning. Good looking bunch this morning. Amen. Somebody said I need my eyes checked. That's all right. That's all right. Well, welcome to Hope in Christ. Sounds like you folks love Jesus. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. Thankful to be back uh, here this morning, gathered with you folks, not only in-house, but uh, let's give all the folks listening by internet a hand clap this morning. Welcome them. We're thankful that our church continues to grow in a lot of ways. I was just thinking about that this week. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that my role had changed at Signature Healthcare. I had been serving part-time in one location here in Monterey at Standing Stone, but uh, a couple of weeks ago, that grew to four different signature facilities, and all together, that's about 320 residents, 320 residents, and about that many more, three to 400 employees that I now serve as chaplain. Now, I don't know how you feel about that. But uh, I'm your pastor, and and I'm their chaplain, and God has entrusted me to minister to that number of people, and and I don't consider it changing hats, whether I'm in the pulpit or in a room visiting or in a hallway trying to encourage an employee. I believe Hope in Christ Fellowship is about 700 to 750 strong this day and age, and we give God glory for that, amen? We give God glory for that. Well, if you've got a bulletin, I ask you to take that out at this time. Take out your listening guides. Inside that bulletin is a connection card. If this is your first or second time or so visiting, please fill out a connection card and drop that in the offering bucket when you leave today. Or if you haven't filled one out in a long, long time, you can fill one out if your address has changed or anything like that. You can also use it to leave us uh, prayer requests. Uh, Maybe you're interested in being baptized. Maybe you're interested in becoming a member here at Hope. Just use that any way you feel led to of the Lord today and drop that in the offering bucket as you live today. But take out your listening guides, if you will. Different, difficult, unforeseen times that we're living in today. Would you say amen? I know that sounds like a broken record, but it's the truth. Here in America, here in America, it seems like the very values that this nation was built upon and the very values that has sustained this nation for hundreds of years, sustained our society, it seems like those values are being turned upside down and wrong side out. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah The Old Testament prophet Isaiah, some 2,000 years ago, wrote these words, wrote these words. In Isaiah chapter 5, in verse 20, you are doomed if you call evil good and call good evil. Destruction is certain when you call darkness light and light darkness. 
when right is considered wrong and what's wrong is considered right, when you claim what is bitter is now sweet and what is sweet you now call bitter. Like America of today, Israel had fallen into immorality, injustice, and idolatry. And Isaiah was not the only prophet prophesying these proclamations. The other Old Testament prophets, such as Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Zephaniah, they were also preaching and proclaiming, hey, if you don't change your ways, you're going to regret it. They were warning Israel that God was fed up. God was fed up with idolatry, immorality, and injustice. And sure enough, about 600 B.C., about 600 B.C., the emperor of the Babylonian Empire, King Nebuchadnezzar, he invaded Israel. He invaded the capital city of Jerusalem. He decimated the place and he took the nation captive. Israel lost their freedom because they refused to pay attention to God. They refused to pay attention to what God had been telling them for years and years and years and years. As you can imagine, the collapse of Israel's culture shocked everybody to the core. In Psalm 82, a psalm writer by the name of Asaph is complaining on God's behalf in Psalm chapter 82, verses 1 through 5. God God presides over heaven's court. Can I get an amen right there? Sovereign God presides over all of his creation. God presides over heaven's court and he pronounces judgment on the judges. How long will you judges hand down unjust decisions and show partiality? How long are you going to be prejudiced? Give fair judgments to the poor and to the orphans. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the defenseless. Rescue the poor and the helpless. Deliver them from heartless evil people. Because the leaders are foolish and they lack understanding, people are living in dark times. And get this. And all the foundations of society are shaken to the core. Doesn't that sound familiar? All the foundations of society are shaken to the core. I don't know about you, that sounds like Sunday morning headlines in the United States of America. That sounds like the morning news, doesn't it? Seems like everything, seems like everything is being shaken. Our freedom of speech, conscience, and religion is being shaken. 
The foundation of how we do government in America is being shaken. The foundations of our economy are being shaken. The biblical definition of marriage and family is being attacked and being shaken. The rights of unborn children are being shaken. Our education systems have been hijacked and they too are being shaken. The foundations of moral and ethical values are being shaken. As Isaiah the prophet said, all the foundations of society are being shaken to the core. To the core. But hey, listen. Contrary to where you think I may be going with this, I'm not here this morning to preach gloom and doom. And I'll tell you why. Because this book that I hold in my hands, the Word of God, God's love letter to humanity, God's infallible, inerrant, holy Word is not a book of gloom and doom. It's a book of hope. It's a book of hope. It's the answer for the ages. Can I get an amen? God has already established that no matter what, no matter what, no matter how bad things get, God says, I want you, my people, I want you to thrive. Jesus said, I come that you might have life and have it what? Abundantly. God's plan for His people, in spite of what goes on around us, it really doesn't matter what's going on around us. It matters what's going on on the inside of us. And what's going on on the inside of us is the Lord Jesus Christ through the person of the Holy Spirit. And He said, I come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So this morning... This morning, we're going to start a new series. We're going to start a new series based on the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is a very, very, very exciting Old Testament book. The series is entitled Unshakable. Say that with me. Unshakable. Unshakable. And as we'll see in the coming weeks, I'm convinced that God has a plan for his people, and God's plan is for you and I as believers, his plan for us is to thrive. His plan for us is to live the, the abundant life regardless of what life throws at you. In the first chapter of the book of Daniel, we meet a, a young boy, a teenage boy by the name of Daniel, and he is eyewitness. He's eyewitnessing firsthand everything that's taking place in Israel. He's eyewitnessing the invasion. He's eyewitnessing. He is a person who has been uh, took captive and hauled off to Babylon. And as I said, it's an exciting story, the book of Daniel. But we have to get the practicality of the book of Daniel if we're going to live the unshakable life as the church in the year 2020. Today, here's what I want us to do. Today, I want us to spend our time together establishing the theme of this series, Unshakable. In Daniel chapter 1, 
verses 1 through 7. In the year of Judah's king Jehoiakim's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon besieged Jerusalem with his armies. God gave Nebuchadnezzar the victory. Hmm. God gave Nebuchadnezzar the enemy. God gave the enemy victory over God's chosen people. What's up with that? Well, here's what's up with that. But the Bible teaches us throughout history, sovereign God has used evil kings and evil rulers God has used these kings, these rulers, to teach God's people valuable lessons. Now, it doesn't have to be that way. But when you're stubborn and prideful and arrogant and disobedient, God will get your attention one way or the other. You will hear Him. You will submit to Him. He did it with Pharaoh. He did it with Cyrene the Persian. He did it with Darius the Mede. And now he's doing it with King Nebuchadnezzar. It says, when Nebuchadnezzar returned to Babylon, he took with him the best sacred objects from the temple of God in Jerusalem and put them on display in his pagan temple of Babylon. What's he doing? He's showing out. He also ordered that the best young men of Judah be taken as captives and be brought to his palace. He said, select only the best-looking, strongest, and smartest young men and bring them to my palace. Now, did you notice that there was three qualifying characteristics that King Nebuchadnezzar required of the young men that he wanted brought to his palace. And they're the same three value that our culture demands today. Beauty, brawn, and brains. In today's culture, if you're not academically proficient, if you don't possess above-average athletic ability, and if you're not easy on the eyes... You're nothing. You're nobody. You don't count. Today it's all about sex, salary, and status. It's all about beauty, broad, and brain. It's all about appearance, athletics, and academics. King Nebuchadnezzar said, bring me the best of the best. So they put these four teenage boys through a three-year cultural indoctrination program. Here's what the Bible says. Make sure that they're well-versed in every branch of learning and that they're gifted with knowledge and good sense and have the poise needed to serve in my royal palace. Teach these young men the language and the literature of the Babylonian culture. 
They were to only eat Babylonian food and they were to be trained for three years. Also, they were given new Babylonian names. So Daniel and his three best friends were renamed. Daniel was named Belshazzar. Hananiah was named Shadrach. And Mishael was renamed Meshach. And Azariah was renamed Abednego. What we see here is the government systematically reprogramming these Jewish teenagers. Sound familiar? They're shaking things up. They're taking a hammer and a chisel and they're chipping away at the foundation. They're replacing the godly values of Israel with the pagan values of Babylon the Great. So what do you do? What do you do when your foundations are being shaken to the core? What do you do when the foundations begin to crack and to crumble? Here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to start a journey through the book of Daniel. We're not going to go deep. We're basically going to skim the surface. And as we journey through the book of Daniel, we're going to look at three principles we need to know and we need to practice as Christians, as the church in the year of 2020 going forward. And the first principle is this, filling out your listening guide. Number one, don't be surprised by adversity. Don't be surprised by adversity. Although the collapse of Israel was a shock, it could not have been unexpected. Remember the Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zephaniah, and others had repeatedly been saying, we're going to lose our freedom. If we don't repent and turn to God, we're going to lose our freedom. Listen up, everybody, give me your attention. God's speaking here through the prophet. Listen up. Things are going to change. Not for the better, but for the worse. If we don't, listen up to God. And as a teenager, Daniel had heard this again and again and again. He had been hearing them declare, we're, we're being warned. We're going to lose our freedom if we don't straighten up, if we don't turn to God, if we don't repent. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Dear friends, who's, who's Peter writing this letter to? Peter is writing to the church. Now, you've got to keep in mind, we did a study on the book of 1 Peter. We may go back and go through 1 Peter again because it's so relevant to what we are facing today as a culture. Peter's writing to persecuted Christians. Peter is, Peter is preaching to a group of people who are going through such persecution to the degree that Nero has burned Rome down and placed the blame on the Christians. They're killing them, slaughtering them in great numbers. 
If you walked down the streets of Rome at night, it was lit by human candles. And the humans that served as as candles were Christians who had been beheaded, soaked in oil, placed upon poles and lit on fire. Well, suck it up, buttercup. Hello? This is what 1 Peter 4.12 says. Dear friends, don't be shocked or surprised when you suffer through painful tests and trials as if something strange is happening to you. Let me tell you what the number one problem in the Church of America is today. We're a bunch of spoiled, rotten brats. Temperature's nice in here this morning, isn't it? Padded chairs, pretty comfy, wouldn't you say? Come and go as we please. Go to church when we don't have the sniffles. Go to church when it fits into my busy schedule. I mean, if, 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 if the weather's perfect, Wouldn't it be a better idea to go to the lake or to the park or maybe just sit at home and drink your morning coffee and rock in the rocking chair? Christians? Church? We better wake up. I said we better wake up. Don't Be shocked. Don't be surprised when you suffer. Yeah, but our our government said that we couldn't meet in the building for a time, and that's really inconvenient. Oh, bless your heart. Bless your comfortable little American heart. We better wake up. We better wake up. We better quit concentrating on the Constitution and we better start concentrating on the Word of God. We need to quit focusing on the White House and we need to focus on the great white throne in heaven. We best quit saluting the American flag and we need to raise high the Christian flag. Are you a citizen of heaven or a citizen of planet earth? Can't straddle the fence, folks. We're, we're moving into a time that you're going to have to choose. Jesus as Lord or allegiance to planet earth. And the book of Daniel tells us who we ought to be pledging our allegiance to. Father God in heaven, His Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom of heaven first and foremost. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised when you suffer through painful tests and trials as if something is strange is happening to you. We could very well see in our day and our age real suffering, real pain, Are you ready?
Are you willing to pay the price of being called a Christian? Peter is saying that painful tests and trials are perfectly normal in a true Christian's life. Why? Because you're going hard against culture. You're going hard against culture. You're raising the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ high. You're taking up your cross daily, and you're following Him regardless of the cost, regardless of convenience. Christians need to stop expecting things to be perfect and comfortable on planet Earth. You have to be a little deranged. If you're, a, if you're a student of the Word of God, you've got to be deranged to expect things to be perfect on planet Earth. We're living in a broken world. So when bad things happen, instead of asking, why me? The church should be asking, why not me? Why not me? I'm not in heaven yet. So yes, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be a lot of trials. So don't be surprised by adversity. Let's, let's seek an expert's opinion on the matter. Let's see what Jesus has to say. In John 16, in this world, you will. Say, I will. In this world, you will experience difficulties And here he goes, but take heart. Okay? They're going to poke my eyes out. They're going to behead me. They're going to throw me in prison. They're going to torture me. They're going to falsely accuse me and arrest me, and no telling what else will take place. And Jesus says, hey, smile. Take heart. Praise God. Why? Because Jesus says, I have conquered the world. And friend, listen, I ain't talking about church membership. I'm talking about heaven's membership. I'm talking about being truly saved and born again. If you're in that number, you rejoice when you hear this. In this world, you're going to experience difficulties. You say, praise God, I have been found worthy to suffer with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And yes, I'm taking heart. Why? Because Christ is in me and I am in Christ and Christ has conquered the world. Everybody's fighting the world and battling the world and Jesus done done that. So like the soldiers who came to arrest Jesus in the garden, Peter drew his sword and cut the soldier's ear off. And Jesus is like, Peter, Kind of like Andy and Barney. Put your gun up and give me the bullet. Jesus bends down. He picks up the ear. Come here. Peter, we're not here to fight that battle. I will reign on planet earth one day, but it's not now. The time is not right. Right now it's time for me to suffer because if I suffer, I will ultimately reign And if you too will suffer with me, you too will ultimately reign. Right now, put your sword up, Peter. Time to suffer. Time to suffer. 
Jesus said, I've told you this. Here's the key. I've told you this so that in trusting me, do you trust him? And don't be quick to answer. Don't be quick to answer. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? In trusting me, listen closely. Jesus said, in trusting me, you will be unshakable. And what does unshakable look like? In deeply at peace. Wow. Wow. Yes, Jesus warns us. Jesus warns us that difficulties are going to be a regular part of the Christian life. So don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Be unshakable. Jesus said, be unshakable and be deeply at peace. But what's the typical human response? Apart from the leading of the Holy Spirit, what is the typical human response during a crisis? I've got to find somebody to blame this on. I've got to blame somebody. Say my fault. Can I ask a favor of you this morning? As Christians, please, pretty please, stop the blame game. Stop the blame game. Quit spending valuable time worrying about who's to blame. Valuable time. The same amount of time you're trying to affix blame, you can share Jesus with somebody who is dead in their trespasses and sin. Here's the problem. When you're fixing the blame, you're not fixing the problem. Can I say that again? When you're fixing the blame, you're not fixing the problem. To blame is to be lame. You ever notice how you spell blame? B, lame. Huh? When you spend valuable time and energy blaming others, you're only prolonging the problem. You're only prolonging the problem. So instead of asking whose fault it is, you need to be asking, what is it that I, say I, what is it that I should be doing? In my 53 short-lived life here on planet Earth, I've learned some valuable lessons. And one of the lessons I've learned is this. There are four sources of problems in life. There's four sources of problems in life. Number one is number one. Number one is I. Number one is me. Number one is the person you look at in the mirror 
every single morning. I am the biggest problem I have. I call I. I cause myself more heartache, more pain, more trouble than anybody else on the planet with my own stupid decisions. I have a degree in stupid decision-making. Probably a Ph.D. And some of y'all look like you do too. The first source of shakeups in your life is your own nature, your sin nature, your sin nature. We, we talked about this a few weeks ago, didn't we? We've covered this already. Our old nature, our sin nature, is our most significant problem. The second problem, the second source of our problems in life is the world. The world is not your friend. The world is your enemy. The first source comes from the inside. The second source comes from the outside. The nature within you and the world around you are working overtime to take you down and to take you out. And the primary way the world tries to tear you down And the number one way the world is trying to take the church down today is through ridicule and through disapproval. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. The first step to being delivered from a problem is first to admit that you have a problem. Everybody appreciates approval. I'll say that again. Everybody appreciates approval. Some more than others, but everybody appreciates approval. And so, in seeking approval, if we're not careful, sometimes we cave. We lower our standards. We change our convictions. We give in and we give up because we appreciate approval. But here's a newsflash. You don't need the world's approval to be happy. You are as happy as you choose to be. The third source of problems is, of course, old Slewfoot himself. Satan. Satan is the third source of problems in your life and in my life. The devil is real. He is evil incarnate. If you take the D off a devil, what are you left with? Absolutely. From the moment a Christian wakes up in the morning, From the very morning a Christian opens up their eyes in the morning, Satan is plotting to defeat you. Satan is plotting to defeat you, to discourage you, to create distractions, to create doubt in your life. And when you don't begin your day by hitting the devil head on, guess what? 
it means you're going in the same direction. If you're not opposing Satan, you're running with him. Can I get an amen? Satan hates you. You you hear what I'm saying? If you're a child of God, Satan hates you. He is your enemy. He's not your friend. He's not your confidant. God has a divine plan for your life. Satan has a destructive plan for your life. So keep in mind, so keep in mind my sin nature, the world, and the devil are all working on me and working against me to destroy me. So with that being said, if myself and the world and Satan are trying to destroy me, then I need to cling to those three and pay attention to them and spend time and energy loving them. Love me, love me, love me. We was rehearsing this morning and somebody brought up, there's this TV show. It's all about Steve. Is that really a show? Seriously. Probably got a Christian cast and a Christian director and Christian producer, right? Why not? Be a true story. So if I am a source of problems in my life, and if the world is a source of problems in my life, and Satan is a source of problems in my life, what should I do with those three? Hold them at bay, shouldn't I? But there's a fourth one. There's a fourth source of problems in Christians' lives. Anybody want to take a guess at number four? We got just a minute. Anybody want to take a guess at number four? God. I'm not moving into heresy. Listen, hear me out. Hear me out. God is a source of many of the problems that a Christian faces in life because God sometimes chooses to shake things up in your life for extraordinary reasons, for beneficial reasons, for good reasons, for productive reasons. And that's why I want to cover this in detail because to a Christian, if you don't study and read and know the book, this one is totally unexpected. But if you've read this book from Genesis 1 through the end of Revelation, you know that God oftentimes brings problems into His children's lives to shake things up and get their attention and cause them to take notice of Him. Now are we on the same page? Feel better now, don't you? He's like, I thought Steve lost it there for a minute. But here's the truth. Here's the truth. It doesn't matter what the source of your problems are or where they come from. They can come from the devil. They can come from the world. They can come from you. They can come from God. But it doesn't matter. Why? 
Because God can use all of them for your good and for His glory. And that's the lesson we need to learn, and that's the lesson we need to pay attention to. Pastor Steve, you mean God can use the bad things? God can use the disappointing things? God can use the sad things in my life for good? Yes, yes, yes. Can somebody say yes? God can use them all, and He will use them all for good in your life. Think about it. God is the only one that can turn crucifixions into resurrections. God can only do that. Only God can do that. Only God can bring good out of evil. You can't do that. I can't do that. But God can turn crucifixions into resurrections, and God can turn good out of evil. That's the God we serve. So regardless of the source of the shaking up in your life, God's intention is to use it for good. So keep in mind, Keep in mind that the source of the problem is not as nearly important as your response. Say my response. That's what's important. How do you respond to the problems in your life? So here's the second principle. Anytime your world is being shaken, look for ways God might use it for good in your life. Anytime your world is shaken up, anytime you're facing difficulties, anytime problems are coming into your life, here's what you need to do. You need to stop. You need to evaluate. You need to pray. And you need to ask God, God, what is it that you might be doing in my life right now to use all the disappointment, all the discouragement, all the defeat, all this mess going on in my life? God, how might you use this for good in my life? If you want to thrive rather than just survive in a hostile culture, you need to look for ways that God takes the very things that shake up your life, and he uses them for good. You know this first, Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, the plans I have for you are plans for good and not to harm you. You believe that this morning, church? They are plans to give you hope and a future. Now, as I said a moment ago, the devil has evil plans for your life. They are for destruction. They are harmful. They're, they're, they're set out in motion to take you down. The thief cometh not but to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But God has good plans. And God's methods, listen, God's methods are always right. God's plans are always right. God gives you hope and they provide you with a phenomenal future. If you're a child of God, you've got a written guarantee of eternity in heaven with Almighty God. Let me give you a peek at where we're going in the upcoming weeks. God did five things in Daniel's life with the problems that Daniel faced. And did Daniel face some problems? 
Anybody in here ever been cast into a lion's den full of lions? Didn't think so. Suck it up. Just suck it up. When you come out of the lion's den, we'll sit down and talk, and you can whine all you want. In the meantime, just suck it up and shine for Jesus. God did five things in Daniel's life with the problems he faced, and they're the same five things that God wants to do in your life regardless of the challenges we face. Number one, sometimes God shakes things up in my life to inspect me, to inspect me. See, sometimes God brings a particular problem into my life to reveal maybe an attitude or a motivation or a thought that's totally out of whack when it comes to what my life ought to be like as a child of God. Somebody once said that uh, people are like tea bags. You never know what's in them until you drop them in hot water. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 10, the Lord searches our hearts and examines our deepest motives. Why? So he can give to each person his right reward according to how he has lived. So yes, God is going to use problems in my life to kind of squeeze me and see what comes out of me, to inspect my life. He, he searches our hearts. He, he examines the deepest motives Why? So he can reward us according to how we love him and trust him and live out our Christian life. Listen to this. Now get this, church. Why? Why is always more important than what? You might write that down in your notes. Why is always, always, always more important than what? What you do in life is not as nearly as important to God as why you're doing what you're doing. Hypocrites can put on a good show. Hypocrites can lead choirs, preach from pulpits, be chairman of deacons, lead any kind of committee or team in the church. Hey, hypocrites put on a wonderful show. I've had front row seats before. Have you ever wondered why? Have you ever wondered why it took the children of Israel 40 years to go from Egypt to the promised land? You ever wondered why it took so long? I mean, it's been proven that if you want to walk from Egypt to Canaan land, to the promised land, you can do it in two months. Forty years, two months. What's going on? What's going on? So why did it take them 40 years to get from Egypt to Israel? Well, aren't you glad that the Bible tells us why? The Bible tells us exactly why it took them 40 years. The Bible says it took them 40 years of wondering because God gave them seven tests. And as God was giving them these tests, they repeatedly failed them. They repeatedly failed the tests. 
And every time they failed, God say, okay, another lap around the desert. And sadly, sadly, the majority of them died while walking in circles around the desert. Why? They didn't pass the test. They didn't pass the test. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2. God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years. Why? To humble you and to test you. To humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. whether or not you'd keep His commands. By the way, look up here just a minute. By the way, God leads you through deserts as well. And God leads me through deserts as well to humble me, to search my heart, and to see whether I'm willing to obey Him in the good times and the bad times and all the times in between. Because He wants me to thrive. He wants me to succeed. He wants me to live the unshakable life, the abundant life. I wonder this morning, what desert are you walking through? What desert might you be walking through today? Here's what I want you to keep in mind. Your reaction, say my reaction. My reaction to the difficulty I'm facing measures my commitment, measures my faith, measures my integrity, and it measures my spiritual maturity. What I'm going to do, I'm going to give you a question with each of these points. So here's the question to ask when God uses problems to inspect us. That crank clicking, Philip. Give me a hand there. Here's what we ask. What does this problem reveal about me? What does this problem reveal about me? When your whole life is being shaken, what does this particular problem reveal about me? Remember, God is, expect, God is inspecting me. Me. Sometimes, God shakes things up in my life not only to inspect me, but to correct me. God wants to correct me, say me. That's precisely what happened to the nation of Israel 2,600 years ago. As I mentioned earlier, they had fallen into idolatry. And God said, for your good and my glory, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cure you of that addiction. I, I, I'm going I'm to put so much pressure on you. I'm going to bring so many problems into your life that it's absolutely going to push 
idolatry out of your life for your good and for my glory. That's why he allowed them to be carried off to Babylon for 70 years. 70 years. When they came back 70 years later, they were cured. And according to the Word of God, they never fell into idolatry again. Later on in this series, I'm going to share with you seven things that changed in the nation of Israel after being in captivity for 70 years. They were all wonderful things. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 8 through 11. God corrects all His children. Say all His children. God corrects all His children. And if He doesn't correct you, then you really don't belong to Him. Bring on the correction, God. Right? Confirmation. Confirmation that He's Father and I'm Son. God corrects us for our own good. Why? Because He wants us to be holy as He is. It's never fun to be corrected. Can I get an amen? In fact, at the time, it's always painful. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked when you face adversity, when you face correction. Don't don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Say, God, what are you up to? Reverently, lovingly, God, what are you up to? What are we working on now, God? He wants us to be holy as He is. It's never fun to be correct. In fact, at the time, it's always painful. But if, say if, boy, it's a big word, ain't it? Two little letters, big old word. But if we learn to obey by being corrected, we will do right and live at what? Do you want peace? No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. I don't either. We don't want it bad enough to do it His way. Can I say that? Ultimately, the Bible says correction is for our good so that we can live at peace. Now, did anybody else in the room besides me benefit from correction growing up? My mom and daddy was good at correction. I'm telling you, you you say, Steve, listen, I hang around you a lot. I know you. You're a mess. What if they hadn't corrected me? You ever think about it that way? Yeah. Yeah. Good grief. That's a scary thought. Yes, yes. We all benefited from growing up. That's how you learned how to walk. That's how you learned how to talk. That's how you learned how to read and how to write and everything else you know how to do because people, parents, teachers, others corrected you and instilled in you what you needed through painful experiences to grow up to maturity. You learn because somebody cared enough to teach you and to correct you. And just a big old, big old, big old sentence to the young couples in America today. A parent that doesn't correct their children doesn't love their children. I'm going to repeat that. A parent 
that doesn't correct their children doesn't love their children. Why? Because the Bible teaches that correction is proof that I'm part of God's family. Hebrews chapter 12, 26 and 27, when God spoke from Mount Sinai, His voice shook the earth. But now He says, I will not only shake the earth, but the heavens too. By this He means that He will seal... Listen, get this. Why? Why is He shaking things up? Why is the voice of God thundering from Mount Sinai? Why is it shaking the earth? Why is he saying, I'm not only going to shake the earth, but I'm going to shake the heavens too? By this he means that he will sift out everything without a solid foundation so that only the unshakable things will be left. What he's saying is, I'm going to get rid of all the temporary stuff. All the man-made stuff in your life. And we're only going to keep the stuff that's going to last forever. That's why you're going through that problem. God is correcting you to demonstrate His love for you. He's inspecting you. He's correcting you. Job 5.17, consider yourself, say that for me. Yeah, Consider yourself fortunate when God all-powerful chooses to correct you. And we've done established that from the Word of God, correction is a form of love. Now, it's not a form of love that we love. But it is a form of love that God uses, and it demonstrates how much He loves us. Job says it's a privilege, it's an honor to be corrected by God because it means He loves you. C.S. Lewis Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but He shouts to us in our pain. Listen to this. This is good. This is not me. Change happens when when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. Change happens. You can you could actually say change only happens. Change only happens when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. Here's what God's doing. God wants to teach you about Him. God wants to teach you about Himself, and He wants to inform you about yourself and some valuable life-changing lessons you're only going to learn through the difficult times. Tell me if this is right or not. You don't learn the value of money until you've lost it. What's the value of money when you have it? It's when you don't have any that it becomes the most valuable. Can I get an amen? You don't learn the value of friendship until you lose it. Boy, this one right. You don't learn the value of your health it's gone. Take a lot of things for granted in life, don't we? So here's the question. Here's the question to ask when God is correcting us. God, what is this problem teaching me? Again, instead of asking why me, we should be asking what should I be learning in this difficulty? So sometimes God uses problems to shake things up to inspect me. God uses 
God shakes up my life in order to correct me. And thirdly, sometimes God shakes things up in my life to direct me. You ever gotten off course? You ever, you ever went left when he said go right? Have you ever marched forward when he said halt? Have you ever halted when he said move? Boy, I'm good at that stuff. Proverbs 16, 9. A person may plan his own journey, but the Lord directs his steps. That is a big statement. You can make all the plans you want, but the Lord directs your steps. No, he don't. Yes, he does. I don't believe in that doctrine that God is sovereign and He directs the steps. I don't believe in the doctrine that God is sovereign and He's ruling and reigning and directing all things. I don't care if you believe it or not, it's so. He's not directing my steps. Yes, He is. Yes, He is. How does God direct our steps? Very simple. How is God directing your steps? through the problems you face. Well, I'm going over here. March on. When you hit that block wall, you're going to go this way. God's directing your steps. You can plan all you want to plan, but God's directing your steps. He's sovereign. He's in control. Haven't you noticed? This is kind of funny. You might as well laugh because it hurts. Have you ever noticed that problems have a unique way of changing your plans? Huh? What's God doing? He's redirecting you. He inspects, He corrects, and He directs during the difficult times in life. I'm sure you've noticed. I'm sure you've noticed that pain is a powerful motivation to change. Hmm? Proverbs chapter 20, verse 30. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make you change your ways. This would be a good time to pass the microphone and just let everybody give a testimony of how pain influenced change in your life. Could anybody testify? Sure. Even Aristotle said we cannot learn without pain. So God shakes things up to direct us in His direction. King David. King David's life has just fallen apart. He wrote Psalm 119, verse 59. He says, I've thought about my life, and I've directed my feet back to your written instruction. He tried it Frank Sinatra's way, and it didn't work out too well. Yeah, he did it his way, didn't he? We, it's recorded. David did it his way for a time. And how did that work out? He said, I've thought about my life. And I've directed my feet back to you, God. Back to your written word. So, again, what problem are you facing in life right now that you're pretending is not yet a problem? You wouldn't do that, would you? You wouldn't be facing a problem that you're ignoring, would you? What's the elephant in your life? What is the elephant in your marriage, in your relationship, that you continue to say, nah, that's, 
That's not a problem. I got this under control. That's, that's not a problem. Here's what you have to ask yourself. Where is this problem leading me? Where is this problem directing me? Here's a fact. Problems never leave you where they find you. Can I get an amen? Problems never leave you where they find you. Remember the prophet Jonah? Yeah, Jonah. God told Jonah, go east to Nineveh, but Jonah went west. Why? Because he was prejudiced. He was prejudiced. So he went to Tarshish instead, and so God arranged a custom-made plan just for Jonah. And this custom-made problem was a big custom-made fish swallowed him up. You see, sometimes, sometimes you get swallowed up by a big problem. But when it spits you out, you're headed in the right direction. So it was with Jonah. God uses problems to direct us. Number four, sometimes God shakes things up in my life to protect me. Sometimes God shakes things up to protect me. Have you ever noticed that there's times that pain protects you from something much, much worse? Sometimes problems are blessings in disguise. Not all problems, not all problems are a result of you doing something wrong. Sometimes problems come into your life when you're doing everything right. Right? Sometimes we encounter problems because we did the right thing. Job 36:16. Y'all know the book of Job. I mean those, well, wouldn't you like to have friends like Job? Just come and sit down with you and tell you everything you're doing wrong and how pitiful you are and how sorry you are and how rotten you are and how you deserve all the horrible things going on in your life. You got friends like that? What did Job say? Job said, God has led you away from danger. Danger? The wealthiest man of his time. Big family. Big herds of animals. Big crops. Doing everything right. He's a godly man. But Job himself said, God has led you away from danger, giving you what? Freedom. Sometimes you're doing everything right, but problems come into your life and pain comes into your life because God is protecting you from something. Problems are preparations for success. And here's what it all boils down to. It all comes down to faith. Are you willing to trust God? That's the bottom line. Are you willing to trust God? Now then, sadly... Sadly, there are people in your life whose intention is not to help you, but to harm you. Some people don't like you because of the moral stance or the 
ethical decisions you make because you refuse to go with the flow. Some people think you're self-righteous and they misjudge you, so they set out to take you down. But listen, just like in the story of Joseph, what others mean for evil, God means for good. Right? And guess what? Guess what? God is bigger than your critics. God is bigger than all your enemies combined. So sometimes God removes harmful people from your life, and sometimes that troubles you. But let me give you a very valuable piece of advice. Don't run after them. Don't chase them down. Let them go. Why? Because God is at work, and God is shaking things up to protect you. So here's the question. When God is protecting us, when God is putting problems in our life to protect us, here's what we have to ask. God, how can this problem protect me? God, what, what's being prevented? What could possibly be worse in my life than this problem? Believe me. Believe me. Things could be a whole lot worse. Things can always be a whole lot worse. Number five, the fifth way God shakes things up in your life is sometimes God shakes things up in my life to perfect me. Newsflash, you're not perfect. Yet. Yet. We're in the process, but we're in the perfection process, and the end result of the perfection process is when we see Him, we shall be like Him. Say not yet. Two or three didn't say it. The ones that didn't say it, now you have to say it all by yourself. So thank you. God shakes things up in my life to make me more like Jesus. Wow. Problems in my life make me more like Jesus. God shakes things up in my life to perfect me. Sadly, most Christians grow best through the storms, through illness, through tragedy, and through loss. I said, sadly, most Christians grow that way. I want, to, I, I want you to write this down in your listening guide. Pain is the high cost of growth. Pain is the high cost of growth. If you're going to grow to spiritual maturity, then pain is going to be a part of the plan. Pain is the high cost of growing up. You don't grow on easy street. How many can testify to that? We don't grow on easy street. Lazy Americans want product without process. Can I get an amen there? I know it's a very common cliche, but it's true. No pain. That's it. No pain, no gain. And when we learn this, if we learn this, we're going to be unshakable like Daniel was. The very things that discourage you are the very things God wants to 
to bail a few. Here's what we got to keep in mind. There's a reward on the other side. There's a reward on the other side. 1 Peter 5.10. Again, 1 Peter. Wow. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who calls you to share his eternal glory in union with Christ, will himself perfect you and give you firmness, strength, and what? Absolute. After you suffer for just a little while, just a little while, hate to bust your bubble, but listen, God is not interested in you being comfortable. I know that's what Western Christianity believes and preaches and teaches and destroys the minds and hearts of people, but God is not interested in your comfort. God is interested in your spiritual growth. And God is willing to introduce as many problems as necessary to get you to trust Him and love Him and grow, become more like Jesus. We're in school right now, but graduation day is coming. So knowing that God is using the difficult things in life to inspect me, direct me, correct me, and perfect me, what should my response be? Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Oh, doggies, look here at Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. So what should the result be? We can rejoice. We can rejoice. Three, we can rejoice. Yeah. That's how people that know the book react. The rest of them act like you all. Go team. Go Jesus. We can rejoice. What a mess. What a mess. What a mess. We're going to get this, about nine weeks worth of it. And by the end of it, here's what we're going to do. You're going to see Romans 5, 3, and 4, and it's going to get so rowdy in here, you can't even hear my voice. We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. Yeah. Why? Because we know they're good for us. They help us learn to be patient. And patience develops strength of character in us and it helps us trust God more each time we use it. No pain, no gain. Here's the fifth question. We must ask ourselves when faced with problems and we understand that God is perfecting us, how can I grow How can I grow from this problem I'm facing? As if it couldn't get any worse. Let me just say this to you. The bottom line is this. Your problems are not your problem. Your problems are not your problem. All those challenges that we face 
that you think are your problems, they're not your problems. Your real problem is how you choose to respond to the problem. The real problem is how we respond. If you respond to them in a way that demonstrates your trust in God, if you respond by praising God and thanking Him, you maintain your integrity. When you don't give in and you don't give up, and when you do things like Daniel did, here's what's going to happen. You're going to grow and grow and grow and grow. And you're going to become more and more and more and more just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. How can I grow from this problem? When do your problems become real problems? Your, your problems become real problems when you lose your perspective. When you lose your perspective. Our problems become real problems when we lose our sense of humor. When we start feeling sorry for ourselves. When we start throwing pity parties, inviting all of our friends and loved ones to attend the party. Your real problems, I mean, your problems become real problems when you get bitter. When you start blaming everybody else. Jesus said on this side of heaven, you're going to have problems. You're going to have problems. But we got to realize that God can use problems at least five different ways to benefit us. He can inspect us correct us, direct us, protect us, and perfect us. God says, I can use all those ways in what's going on in your life if, if you allow me to. Number three and the last one. Trust God or what I don't understand. We're not going to always understand what God's up to. No matter how many times you've read the book, no matter how often you pray, no matter how spiritually mature you are, there's going to be times that you're not going to understand what God is up to. And when that happens, you've got to trust God. When there's a problem in my life, and I'm like, this just doesn't make sense. I just don't get it. I, I don't see the inspection. I don't see the correction, the direction, the protection. I don't see the perfection. This problem doesn't make any sense. What do you do? You trust God. You trust God. You walk by faith and not by sight. Proverbs 20, 24. Since the Lord is directing our steps, why try to understand everything that happens along the way. Trying to understand everything along the way is foolishness. Foolishness. So what do we do when we don't understand? Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend upon your 
own understanding. Honor the Lord in everything you do, and He will give you success. Circle that word success. God wants you to be successful in life, but maybe not the way you define success. See, the way man defines success and the way God defines success are worlds apart. Literally, worlds apart. Worlds apart. Pastor John MacArthur, I read this just yesterday. Pastor John MacArthur said, the Christian life is a call to glory through a journey of suffering. That's what we're going to look at in this series, Unshakable. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. Everybody in the building, please, bow your head and close your eyes. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask, I want you to ask God these questions silently in your mind. Number one, Lord, are you using these problems to inspect me? If so, what do they reveal about my life? Is there weakness? Is there misplaced priority? Is there some place I've compromised the truth and you're trying to show me? Number two, Lord, are you using this problem to correct me? If so, what do you want me to learn? Father, I'm not going to ask why. I'm asking what. What do you want me to learn? What do you want me to know? Number three, Lord, are, are you using this problem not just to inspect or correct, but are you using this problem to direct me? If so, what direction? What do you want me to change? What's the new direction? Where do you want me to go? Number four, Lord, are you using this problem to protect me? Is this happening because you knew something I didn't know? Was I walking into a bigger trap, a bigger problem, a greater difficulty, and you protected me? If so, I want to tell you that I trust you. I know that you know best. Thank you, Father, for protecting me. Number five. Lord, are you using this problem to perfect me? God, I know you're at work even when I don't recognize it, even when I don't understand it. Father, I want to trust you with all my heart not with my understanding. 
God, I want to honor you in everything I do, in every area of my life. Father, thank you for promising. Give me success. Teach me through the life of Daniel in the weeks ahead. Jesus, I want to trust you with all my life as best as I know how. And I'm doing that today. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand this morning. Michelle, y'all come on. God is certainly at work in His world, in this nation, in this church, and in your life. And this is not a time to use our intellect, our, our understanding to try to figure all out what's taking place. This is the time Trust God. Trust the Lord with all of our heart and not lean on our own understanding. And just ask these questions to God. God, what are you up to? God, reveal to me what you're up to so I can be found right in the center of your will, letting my light shine. I mean, honestly, in your lifetime, has it been this dark? In your lifetime, has it been this dark? Light shines brightest in the darkest room. Would you agree with that? The darker the darkness, the brighter the light shines. Church, it's, it, it's our time to shine. Can't hide it under a bushel. Hold it up for the world to see. Now, I'm not going to hold me up for the world to see because... That'd be a disappointment. I'm going to hold Jesus up for the world to see. Jesus is the light of the world. Amen.